You're listening to Felony Podcast with your host, Dave Dahl, on the Startup Radio Network. The Felony Podcast explores ex-felons that have gone on to launch their own startups. We explore the ups, the downs, the behind-the-bar stories with these founders. Felony Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. My name is Mark Grimes, co-founder of Startup Radio Network. Also with us in the studio, Dave's partner in crime, Lad Justison. And here's a man with a plan, leader of the band, buff and tanned, Dave, the killer bread man, doll. Hey, you got it right again there, Bob. Uh, thanks for it, such a fine introduction. It's been a little while since I've been here. Today, instead of Lad, we have our good friend Alan, who's normally here anyway, but he's going to be talking more today. Kind of, He has a nice high voice like Lad. That's and, right. <laughs> And, and our guest actually has a pretty high voice, too. So Thank we're, you. We're going to get a lot of contrast today. I love this. Um, you know, what we do here on Felony Inc. is we interview folks who, we, we let them tell their stories of transformation, uh, you know, getting their life together after just really being knuckleheads for way too long. Um, today's guest, oh, First, I want to tell you, Lad's not here today. It's his birthday. Uh, I'm not sure um, when we'll see Lad again here, but uh, it's his birthday today, so he has a good excuse not to be here. And Lad, if you're listening, fuck you. Happy birthday, Lad. <laughs> yeah, I don't care what Dave says. I still think Lad's an asshole. Oh, <laughs> that's mean. Yeah, I love it. So, um, anyway... What we do have going on today is we have a special guest, uh, a friend of mine. We've been we've known each other for a while. Uh, first on Facebook, uh, then various events we've attended together, uh, separately but together. <laughs> you know, we're not we, we we broke up a long time ago, so we're not we don't do it together. I'm still dealing with the devastation. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he's he's my good friend Scott Spencer Wolf, and you know this bio I read it a couple of times um, it's just way too long I'm not going to read it today but what Did, I'm good do you need help with the big words yeah uh, and the little words <laughs> uh, it's the combinations of words that are killing me so um, anyway I want to ask you what we're, what we're going to do is we're going to let you tell us your bio because you can do it better than I can Okay, well, uh, I, unlike some of your guests, I was not a drug user in my teenage years or my early 20s. I didn't really uh, do any of that. Uh, I was a fairly normal kid with a, a little bit of an overachiever background, uh, came from a normal family, relatively speaking, although my dad was a felon. He had been convicted of bigamy uh, and was at one point married to eight women and would do this. Where you learned all your lessons. All my tricks. All my tricks. And uh, he was. But you never did drugs. I did not do drugs. I did not. In fact, uh, in college, I uh, went to Florida Southern College and I majored in piano. Uh, In college, I was the guy who would drive people home. By the way, he's a fast. He's an amazing piano player. Thank you. That's kind. Um, I would drive people home. So I uh, I was the guy that just uh, 
was uh, just uh, you know the straight and narrow. I was president of the student council in high school. Uh, all of that was great until uh, oh about midway through my college career, where I decided that I wanted to steal some money for one reason or another. You, know, you don't, you can't remember the reason. I know because I but think you, it's your I, morals were already. Just, I mean, you didn't really have, you haven't tested your morals out yet. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's part of it. Part of it was a multi, I mean, I can probably give you an answer in three different models. Sure. Uh, at some model, I thought being a man was was uh, being in prison and handling things like my dad did. We had visited him in federal mm-hmm. prison, so that was part of it. Uh, so some of it was just uh, kind of a gangster mentality. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Um, but uh, not a gangster in the knuckle dragging way. A little <laughs> more, you know, well well tailored, you know, yeah. gangster. I understand. But see, the, it, when you think of you know, the, the top gangsters, that's, the, you know, they weren't knuckle draggers per se. We were from New Jersey. Yeah. And so uh, that was, uh, yeah, and uh, the town I lived in right outside of New York had quite a number of those those folks. Yeah. So uh, people, they'd have their wives start their cars. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so if it blew up. up. Oh, I love my wife, but she started exactly. my car. Exactly. So I, I went to prison in Florida in the, the 1975 era. It was uh, unlike so many people. It was an amazing experience for me. I spent my time reading, uh, met a bunch of people, and uh, I was one of the last of the criminal variety. Uh, prisons have become mostly habitats for former drug users or cr- active drug users in many cases. And and uh, I went to a place that actually had criminals, people that did criminal mm-hmm. things, not based on drug use or some other thing, mm-hmm. but you know, we were criminals just, first, right? We were criminals first, and uh, it was a pretty amazing experience. And and the prison system in Florida was fairly uh, liberal and open-minded. And so I ended up going out into the community and do, doing piano concerts and kind of stuff that nobody else really does uh, in in that whole model. And so it wasn't a negative experience. No, you got you got coddled. Uh, yeah, I would say that would be. A, a, I heard that word earlier, so I just wanted to throw it out there. It's a good word. Yeah. It's a good word. But it, but in your case, it worked well because you only went to prison two more times. That's correct. That's correct. So they were they were like right on top of it. The second time, uh, I stole money from uh, an organization at the University of Washington, and uh, I had moved to Seattle and went back to prison. Uh, got ten years, and uh, this is all kind of embezzling stuff. This right? is all embezzling. Yep, yeah. exactly. Um, and it was something like a challenge. I, I would work for somebody who uh, was uh, a little, uh, you know, off base in my justification for this. There's no justification for stealing. I completely recognize that. But my justification was sort of a passive-aggressive, okay, I'll show you. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was the second time. Did you steal while you were in prison? No, never. Okay. Yeah, because you don't seem like the type that would, nope. do, that would be that sort of a petty criminal. No, there are really strict rules in terms of prison behavior, and I'm kind of a big abi- uh, so you abider are, of So you those. go by the code. Yeah, right. The good it, code. It's, uh, because there's a yeah. lot, there's a newer code that is doesn't have anything to do with right, that. Right, I know. Yeah. Yeah. The first place I was at prison, you could have $50 in cash and... Uh, you know, you, you had little drawers. We lived in big dorms, and nobody locked their drawers. And if anybody even thought about stealing somebody's money, it was a bad scene. Yeah. So you just did not do that. Cell thieves were used to get beat up. Bad. Right. No. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's a which is a, a good. It's an old value yes. system that it's I think is value. is very good. 
So the second time, went to uh, prison in Washington State. Again, went out and did piano performances. <laughs> I, I do play uh, fairly decently. You play very well. And uh, so that was kind of fun. And uh, uh, did some programs. I, I did a program called the Navy Brig Program, where I was, uh, it was sort of a scared straight. And they would bring guys in from the Navy Brig, and we were supposed to scare them. And so I am not a scary person, to say the very least. And many of the scary people that I found in prison, they can turn their scariness on and off like a switch. And so uh, I remember one guy named yeah. Diddy who was this big black guy, and he just looked like a terror. And he'd, you know, people would come in, and he'd go, oh, I'm, you come here, I'm going to make you Mrs. Diddy. <laughs> and you know, again, big teddy bear. I mean, the guy was sure. just amazing. And so I coordinated that. After I got out of prison, I uh, went to work for the Navy, uh, teaching classes, uh, release classes, and that sort of stuff. So I've always kind of gone back and forth between that, that whole thing. So. I know. You know, I wanted to break in real real quick here uh, and remind everybody, did I introduce um, Alon today? Just a little bit. You kind of worked me in at the beginning. Alon is a really a special part of our show. He's always had, not only does he make it possible by whatever he does over there, but he um, also um, has some good enlightening things to say from time to time, so... You know, feel free to jump in since we don't have Lad. I don't know if you can replace his lowbrow sense of humor. I hope not. <laughs> what? No dick jokes today? Yeah, prob- <laughs> probably no dick jokes, but you know, maybe some some true true stories about dicks. You know? <laughs> well, thanks for inviting me into the conversation. Yeah. Right on. And so, anyway, we uh, so feel free to if you come up with a question right or on. anything, comment. Uh, so, you know, lead us on to, to how how did you finally, you know, when and how did you finally go, man, that's enough. Yeah, it's an evolutionary process, I think, mm-hmm. for me. Um, I've always been more helpful to people. Because you were a pretty good guy when you were a bad guy. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah everybody loved me. I was you involved. You were practicing being a good guy. All kinds of community stuff. And, and uh, uh, curiously enough, chaired the Portland Police Bureau's budget committee for a while as a three-time convicted felon, which is a pretty interesting uh, thing. And, Did they, they, and they knew that. Oh, of course. And uh, they used to say, hey, it's got our funny money guy. And so <laughs> it was, uh, again, you know, people don't, and I learned something in this process, is people don't care what you've done as much as they care what you've overcome. Mm. And that's a really, really important thing. And so I use that to my advantage. I don't think I was consciously saying I just want to get over on these people. But there was a certain you know, part of me that, that said, hey, uh, this gives me some respectability and is a compensation for all the crappy things that I've done to people previously. Uh, so uh, that was you know, kind of a helpful thing. And, and it's just been a, you know, it's been a journey. So I, I would get it and then lose it and get it and then lose it. I guess it's my own way of relapsing without the drug scene. And uh, finally, finally, this last time I finally said, you know what, there's so many needs inside that I'm really committed to these people because I see the value of people who are inside. There are, you know, some brilliant men in there. Mm. Uh, just amazing. So I started working. I worked for DePaul for eight years as an instructor and and uh, volunteer instructor and uh, loved that. Got to know a lot of people in the recovery community and said I can do more for them outside than I can inside. Well, one of the things that we talk, uh, we'll get back to that. One of the things that we, that we like to talk about, of course, is uh, is money. So um, obviously you made money before doing whatever you did, all the different things. Um, how do you uh, 
have you started businesses out here? I, I believe you have of some sort, but you also worked for Intel. Apple. Apple. Yep. Worked oh. for Apple for eight years. Okay. Tell me, tell me a little bit about what you've done over the last few years. Yeah. So the last few years have been an interesting time. I got a job with Apple in 2011, uh, worked in tech support for a while, then ch- uh, changed from a, a tech support to sort of VIP tech support, uh, and then uh, uh, did some special projects, created trainings and classes for people who were doing Apple Care. So that's what I did in the last little bit. And then in the process of that, uh, went back to school uh, and, and ended up with a PhD in um, transpersonal psychology, which is an area of psychology that deals with language and myth and spirituality in variety of ways and how that intertwines with our experience of culture. Um, always been an interesting area for me. I definitely want to talk about a little bit about that, um, especially what I read. You, you you gave me some paperwork that I read that goes, yeah, that's, it resonated so much, you know, with my experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, what was that? that I read. Can you tell people? Well, um, yeah, so some of it is just uh, understanding change and and the fact that, you know, in the process of change... What did you call it, though? Immunity to change, maybe? No, it was like... Okay, there was... You had a title for your paper and it was like three pages and... Anyway, um, you were... Yeah, it, but it was about change. Yeah. So go ahead and. and well, carry so my on. my um, my dissertation was called the vampire effect, and mm. the worst part of being a vampire is anybody you suck. No, <laughs> finding your finding the blood. No, uh, you, not being able you, to be in the sun. No, you yeah, that's uh, you don't like silver. Nope. The worst part about being a vampire is you outlive everybody you care about, mm. and so that is really the worst thing. And and that's a, almost a direct quote from an Anne Rice book. And and uh, uh, you know, so without a doubt. And when I read that, I go, ah, that's my focus. And my focus then is looking at lifers, people inside who are doing very long sentences and are never going to get out, and how their relationship is based on my own experience, and then ultimately on quite a bit of research, on how my experience is with them and how they bond or don't bond with people who are short-timers who are going to be leaving. Because we think of people in prisons as not having emotions and not having feelings and all of that. So huh. Feelings. Yeah. Nothing more than feelings. Anyway, we you think... You try of, not to. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, th- people I do... Did. They don't try not to have them. They try not to show them. Yeah. And there's a difference between those two things. And so in that process, um, a lot of people would just not make friends with people that they knew were going to be gone in five years or six years or seven years or ten years, and yet, uh, which is really isolating. So lifers are just hanging around with themselves, and that's it. And there's a lot of programs in prisons around the United States that are designed to give lifers some sense of meaning and purpose. Um, There's a program at at, uh, uh, Attica. There's a program at Angola in Louisiana. Oregon State Penitentiary is a really good place to understand where the lifers are the motivating, moving factor for much of the positive stuff that happens in the prison. And so they're the ones that have the most invested in it. Um, one of your podcast guests a long time ago, I can't remember who it was, but said, you know, well, I was doing a long time, so I didn't really care. Whereas the real model, if you do research on it, is that if you're doing a long time, you care a lot because it's your, your home. That's what I said. That's your community. Yeah, exactly. That's your community. And so I if you're not a knuckle dragger um, and you say, wait a minute, I've been here a long time or, you know, and I'm looking at how to make this better for myself and everyone else, that you really are invested in this change. So that 
that's that's been my focus. Well, I mean, the only thing, the only excuse for saying I don't really care is if you got something else that you're doing that's taking all right. of your time and attention. Right. I suppose I can't remember who that guy was, but it yeah. sounds like an asshole. Yeah, <laughs> he, and and he wasn't. It was just an interesting <laughs> I know thing. He wasn't. That, we that, don't have assholes. That honey. struck me, and I went, "That's an interesting perspective." But it's a perspective a lot of people have on the outside. Oh, he's he's a lifer, so he's going to be bad. He's going to be in the hole and out of the hole and all that sort yeah. of stuff. And there are people at the penitentiary have been there 30 years and never had a, or haven't had a write-up in all that time. Right. You know, so... and well, Especially lifers are, are, are very... There's a wide range of people that are lifers. Uh, you know, they, right. it comes from all the way from really messed up sex offender types, you know, it, which, uh, again, I don't want to be judgmental about people's time, what they're doing time for, but, you know, it, to to guys who made a mistake, you right? Know? Yeah, sure, exactly. And exactly. Um, you know, people that are, they're people that are just straight dangerous, and uh-huh. you don't want to ever see them free again. You right. know, all the way to people that really shouldn't be there in the first place. Right. No, exactly. And at at, at uh, um, OSP, there are some people there that I don't think should ever get out, but I like them anyway. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. There are no throwaway humans. They're where they belong, and right. they're doing. Right. They're going to make it good. Right. Exactly. Now we're going to take a break for a second. CPA Dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startupradio. Tell them Dave and Lad sent you, and we'll send you a very special surprise. Seriously, we will. Today's episode of the Felony Inc. podcast is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this, such as press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. Hey, happy after birthday, lad. Um, lad, <laughs> lad loves after birth. Um, so, also, he's 61 today. What? Lad is 61. Wow. I have t-shirts I was just going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just a kid. He's doing good for 61, he's, actually. Yeah, he yeah. is. He is. Uh, uh, yeah, he's a good guy. Lad's been through his share, trust me. So, um, where were we? We were talking about lifers and uh, yes, we were, and how they can make their time better and become better people while they're at it, right? Right, by making their the place they live better and their yeah. community better. Mm-hmm. Tell me about it. okay. So this is something you're really into now. I am really into this. But let's 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 lead up to it. Uh, you did the thing, as you said. You worked with Apple. Uh, you got tired of doing that. And tell us why. Well, part of it was uh, I listened to your podcast, and uh, <laughs> I, 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 yeah. totally, I totally blame you. Uh, <laughs> and I, I had been at Apple a long time. I love Apple products. I'm an Apple geek from day one, uh, you, you know, years and years and years. Um, however, from a cultural standpoint, Apple has really evolved in, in that whole process, and not in a real positive devolved, way. Totally. Or devolved. <laughs> and it, it's a scalability issue that they've become so big that uh, they don't have the same kind of connection that they, they did a, a, a while back. Yep. And so I, I listened to this podcast. I can't remember who it was, but it was like, you know, kind of, you know, 
crapper get off the pot kind of thing. And so I said, okay, so now's a good time. I can sell some stock and live on that for a while. And I wanted to found this company that I had called Site Creative Integral and Transformative Education. And uh, basically just create content for classes uh, at the, at the you know, OSP level and some other classes for different things around helping people understand that they can do better. Um, and, and this was a, a prof. Uh, was this nonprofit or profit? Well, right now it's so nonprofit I have made well, zero dollars. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, okay. I, I, nonprofit would be an overstatement of, of significant in, proportions. Unprofit. You're, you're yeah, in, unprofit. Yeah, zero but, profit, yeah. But your intention is exactly. either, either a for profit or a 501c3. Or, right, because there's absolutely no money in doing that. Right. So unless you get somebody who writes a grant or I write a grant or whatever, there's not a nickel to be had for that kind of thing. Okay. Um, and, uh, well, I was hoping you were going to say there was. Yeah, that there you, isn't. There is no. No, no, no prayer. No, no, no. no. The, the, the system simply does, doesn't have it. They have all they can do to feed people. And so, but then there's other ways of finding yeah, yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And so that's all stuff that's, but it's long term, mm -hmm. um, you know, longer than the six months that I've, I've basically uh, uh, been uh, uh, jobless in the technical sense. And um, I'm, I'm good with that. Uh, mm -hmm. So it just, uh, you know, you work at it, you make connections, you, you know, you talk to different people and, and uh, you know, someday you might find something that's going to actually pay your bills. Will so they, what a concept. Will they let you practice your model uh, in there? Yes. And so you can do that. You won't get paid for it. But eventually, right. if you prove a model, right. if you prove the model, then you can uh, sell it to private people, to people who are willing to fund or at least support somehow these programs. Yeah, that's that, that, you know that's exactly correct. Uh, and, and it's important because you have to you you have to have your yeah. livelihood, livelihood. Right. And is, are these things are probably useful for people that aren't felons as well? I would imagine. Yeah, sure. One of the interesting things sure. about prisons and non-prisons is that the material you create is is personal development and personal transformation information. It doesn't matter whether you're inside or outside. Right. Um, I found that I could create a presentation for Apple uh, and literally change four or five words, and it would be perfectly applicable in prison because it's it's about changing mindsets. It's about changing or becoming aware of your perception and having the uh, possibility of creating new perceptual schemas that that matter it's not environment connected in any way so yes exactly right right yeah i mean the principles the principles that work they work everywhere right right exactly um my my own experience was um you know we have different ideas of how people get to where they get but mm -hmm. in my case eventually um I found my first freedom, and it was in prison. Mm -hmm. And that's what I hope for everyone. I don't know. In order to be free, though, you have to, I believe you have to give up mm -hmm. some some of those things, those things that have been putting you in prison and so forth. Sure. One of the things, I've listened to your story uh, countless times, and you know I love you. And uh, one of the things that I thought was really significant that I haven't heard on this is... Uh, all along, all along, God, there was a but there. Yeah. <laughs> all along was a little worried about that, you know, because Alon is, has, has been carrying a kind of a torch for me. Wanna, so. you, you want to duke it out outside? Or? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so was, was that at some point when you started the drafting thing, that was like the first thing where you started to say to yourself, hey, I can really do this and I'm good at it. You know, and I don't know yeah. previously to that That's whether you had anything that you saw yourself as super competent with. Mm -hmm. And that was a big transformative change for you. And now that you've got a taste of that, you can go, hey, I can do all this other stuff. Yeah. 
So that, that was a really powerful I had, moment. I, I guess I, you would say I would had I had an inkling that I could be that I could be better at things, but I wasn't finding those things. Right, it was all covered up. Yeah. It was always in there. Right. Yeah. So I found I was fairly good at scaring the hell out of people, and uh -huh. you know, like collecting and stuff like that. So hey, I thought, well, this is what I'm going to be. I'm going to follow the gangster path to to wherever it leads uh -huh. me. Um, I'm lucky that didn't. That got stopped. Yeah, and and part of that is that you're at some core level a really authentic person, and so I, you know, this isn't the let's analyze Dave hour, but um, although that would be fun, but uh, I mean, but there's oh, yeah. there's that sense of authenticity and, and transparency there that's very 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 clear, you know, and so you you run into that, but you'd masked it so long because of what you said about your your belief that you needed to show strength and not not mm -hmm. show weakness or vulnerability. It's amazing uh, the the freedom and the the relief that I felt. Right, you know? when you could be you. Yeah. Scary as that the is. Surrender. <laughs> scary as that is. <laughs> Earlier you were saying I was cute, now I'm scary. So yeah. Come on. Well, cute and scary. Yeah, that's, yeah. You know, that's, that's yeah, a yeah. thing like Yoda yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. or Chucky. Well, you are cute. I mean, there's no question about that. Yeah, like, like yeah. teddy bear cute, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so for a blind person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so good. Move on. You were... Right. Uh, you, you, you were... On, onto something. Yeah, so that's where I'm at now, is, is uh, trying to figure out, okay, how to do this, how to make this happen. Um, there's a lot of need inside for this. Uh, the, the Department of Corrections is spending, and or the state of Oregon really, is spending an inordinate amount of time uh, for people. And, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, a, a large amount of money for people. Uh, and they're not, they're not really working well in terms of people getting out. Totally inefficient and, very and unsuccessful. Exactly. And very complicated reasons for that. And so, yeah. uh, and, and some of that comes from... A lot from, of it's political, right? A lot of it's political, yeah. But the, the big issue is the mirrored correctional culture in that you've got a, a group of people that are, that are supposedly taking care of these guys and their behavior sometimes <laughs> isn't much better than the guys. And so they don't have any real pro-social... No, they, they're free to be worse. In right. some cases. I, and I, I have some COs. I love the pieces. They're, they're yeah. great guys. But on the whole, as a group, uh, we look at the whole thing with Jeffrey Epstein and that situation where you have guys sleeping on the job. Um, you know, and so their, their tendency to do whatever they can do and get away with it is exactly sure. our tendency as felons or, or convicts. Well, let's see what I can get away with. And so they're just back and forth and back and forth with the same stuff and you don't really change when you've got that as a well, model. They're a part of the culture, right? So they're playing into that culture around them. Yeah, yeah, right. And, uh, you know, the whole thing that there's that culture and it's an us and them culture and then the, the inmates or residents or convicts, whatever you want to call them, consumers of correctional services, there's that culture and they're both literally doing the same thing wearing different outfits. So it, it, it's hard to transform yourself uh, in that process. In Norway, uh, there's a big movement towards uh, the you know, evolution of the prison system in Norway, they have people that are really, uh, you know, really on the ball. They put them through two years of, of college and they I'd like all to know, how, how is that Norway system working? It's working really well. Again, when you tell people that you're worth something, mm -hmm. it makes a difference. When you're constantly saying, you know, oh, you're just a felon, you're never going to amount to anything, either overtly by saying that or... But, but how does a person 
begin to feel that they're worth something beyond just being told that. I don't want to be told I'm worth something, knowing that that is the program. Yeah, I, you know what I'm saying. I want to be. I want to be. I want to prove that to myself. Right. You. The, and and the, the challenge to that is that you've got to let people take responsibility. You know, and we talk about the Oregon accountability model, but it's pretty much nonsense because it's not held on both sides. So mm. when we can say, all right, I just trust you, you're not going to screw up with this, and ha- that's my expectation of you is you're not, the tendency, and statistically the tendency, is that people won't screw up yeah. because they want to meet your expectations, and they want that kind of of recognition to say, hey, you did a good job, instead of the constantly, oh, man, I, you let me down, I knew you would. Yeah. Um, you know, so this, or, works like, with, this works with a good part of the population, and then there's obviously correct. some people that are just not. Yeah, right. Give people responsibility they're likely to take it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And here's the thing. Uh, at the Apple store, when when you go to the Apple store and you want to buy something, you have to find somebody to pay for it, and there's no cash register. And Apple's philosophy is that people will do the right thing. And so instead of just walking out with it, people go and look for somebody and say, hey, can you help me? Uh, I want to buy this. Mm-hmm. And it's worked really, really well for Apple. And I think it's a really positive human process to say, hey, I think you're trustworthy in, in this context. You know. And so I wouldn't want to manage your money because um, I wouldn't trust me. <laughs> it goes, uh, yeah, you got that right, dude. The, um, I I'd, well, I'd let you manage a very small amount of it. Yeah, thirty bucks. <laughs> <Yeah>. the, <laughs> the, but uh, I mean, again, because that's it, it wouldn't be appropriate, you know. Um, and I wouldn't want to put myself in that position. It's sort of like a drug addict right. saying, "Hey, I'm in, in charge of the coke yeah, supply." I was going to yeah, ask you because, about that right. with embezzlement. Like, is it was it all about the money, or is it part the thrill, the adrenaline? Right. It, it was never about the money. That's what I, I thought. Always made enough money that I could live very nicely on. But it was a passive aggressive thing to say, "Hey, you know, if you're going to treat me like." Crap! I'm gonna show oh, you. Oh, so you it was you never did it to someone that you liked. Never, no. And uh, no. so that's an interesting thing, though. You know, just like in politics, it's very easy to develop an attitude, and maybe you're, you know, I say you got two people. It's very easy to develop an attitude toward the others, and that attitude um, could can can color how you think and sure. how you act and stuff like that. Sure. And it, so uh, the question is, my question is, did those folks deserve, no, well, they didn't deserve it, but did did they, do you think your passive aggression was more about you than about about your relationship well, with them? whenever you do something, it's always about you. So the issues were never them. Yeah. They're my issues. There are other people... But they didn't treat you that bad, right? Well, that's not the point. Okay, that's, you not, know, the, that's not a good question to ask on yeah. the podcast. No, 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 no. I, and I, I don't mean that. Yeah, so, I mean, it's not like they beat me. Yeah. Um, but even so, the appropriate... They called you names, didn't they? <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> the, the appropriate thing... Um, to do if somebody isn't treating you well is to quit, not to take their right. money. Right. You know, well, there's no, there's no. That's not appropriate response, of course. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's what I needed to own and say. You know, this was all about me. No matter what they did, I always had the option to say, you know, being here isn't a healthy thing for me, and so I need to look for something else. But I didn't do that. I said, okay, and that was where the rush part comes in, where you go, okay, let's see how much I can get mm-hmm. right under their nose, um, and well, and which is really well, a pathological thing. It's well, not, a, the not, a, why, not a good thing. I think this is the reason why I asked you that question, and and it's 
it's that um, if you were in this situation again, mm-hmm. would do you think that same pattern could happen? You would start going, man, this person isn't treating me the way I expected them to, and they're disrespecting me in certain ways. It's bullshit. You know, then it triggers that response. Yeah, I have to set myself up to never be in that position. That's something that I have to simply say, you know what, Um, uh, I would not want to be in this position. If if I were working for Apple, I, you know, wouldn't want to be their controller. Because as as soon as you find out I bought a private island, um, uh, uh, you'd go, you know, something's fishy here. I don't know exactly what it is, but something's fishy. So, yeah, I just, the, the cure for that is to simply not put yourself in that position. Yeah, okay. And and to talk about what your past is, so there's literally nobody who doesn't know. Yeah. Hey, this is who I've been, and I don't want to be that person anymore. So mm-hmm. um, that's an important thing to me. Uh, I, I get that. I totally get that. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all of your calls live as if they're right there in your office. And with Ruby's mobile app, you easily control just how they screen, transfer, and take your messages. Start setting your business apart today. Visit callruby.com slash startup radio to sign up, or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code STARTUPRUBY. Tell them Dave and Lad sent you, and you get a $150 credit. So we're here with Scott Spencer Wolf, and this gentleman is not only, um, he was a pretty bad criminal, actually. He was <laughs> smart. He was he, The kind of crimes he did took kind of brains, but he was, he was always sabotaging himself somehow in the, in the process. Um, but, you know, Scott has worked with cops. A lot. Uh, a lot. Tell us a little bit about that. Kind I, of you know, I, uh, well, I mean, what you would say is I had a uniform fetish. But um, <laughs> the, uh, uh, I do. I like, I like police people. I've never had a bad experience. Uh, I still do some personal coaching and have a couple of cops as clients. Uh, I was a, a you know, certified life coach kind of person for a while. And um, so, yeah, I do. I, I like them a lot. And uh, not all of them, again, are, are straight up, but a goodly number of them really want to do well. Well, most of the, you know, most of the ones that I knew in my day, they were straight up, uh, you know, bullies. Yeah, I'm talking about straight that, up. That hasn't been my experience. But this was just this is just my kind of. Right. I got like I knucklehead means you got a, yep. a magnet for for punches. Well, like attracts like. Yeah. You know, and so that's uh you know <clears throat> I, I get the thoughtful ones. Um, I did a period in the '90s where even as a felon and everybody at the at the cop shop uh, knew I was chair of the uh, as I said the Portland Police Bureau's budget committee. I was chair of the downtown safety committee. Uh, all this sort of community activism stuff that was really uh, cop related. I was involved in the community policing conference that they had here, and and uh, yeah, you know, since I've gotten to be a better person, um, I, I meet better cops. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean, and that's part of the whole thing. And I have to tell you, I love them. I, I just love them. And some of them, it means so much to them to make a positive difference. So that's been, and the same thing with correctional officers is that there are some that really want to make a difference. And I'll talk to people. One of the weird things about me is I stay in contact with a lot of people that I've done time with, like back. 
back 30 years kind of contact. And I'll find people I've done time with who will, will say, you know what, officer so-and-so made such a difference in my life because they were like my dad. Mm-hmm. And they gave me boundaries and they were consistent. And, uh, you know, so I don't think that a lot of COs know the difference that they can make. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's a very positive thing for me. And I think that their well-being or their, uh, you know, kind of enjoying the job and feeling like they make a difference you know, radiates out. And then if they're not miserable and, well, and bitchy, nobody else is going to be miserable yeah, and bitchy. So That's a good point. But, um, they, you know, the problem is with a lot of things in life, um, life is backwards. And it's got to be the same for cops, too, you know, where by the time you figure out how to be a good person, you've already fucked your life up so bad. Right. You know, it doesn't, it, you can't even follow you know, and that's what prison did for me is it, it gave me another chance. The last time I went to prison, it gave me a chance to think and think and get my shit together. Uh, I don't know what, I don't know if it would happen any other way. Yeah, and there's a reason for that. Uh, you know, a part of that uh, comes from a guy named Maslow where he talked about the hierarchy of needs, food, clothing, shelter, belonging, security, recognition, and then, then you can start to self-actualize. And what self-actualize means is you can start to think about who am I and what am I doing? But if you're outside and you're not sure where your next meal is going to come from or, you know, you don't have rent covered or any of that sort of stuff, you're down at the level of survival needs. You're not able to do that, which is why people in prison are great artists sometimes or great craftspersons or that sort of thing, and they do these amazing things that they can't do outside. The same as, you know, have you ever thought about, I'm into tribal art, right? Mm -hmm. Really? (laughs) Not as much as I used to be. I'm a little little more balanced. I've been to your place. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that's all, yeah, anyway. So uh, I wanted to say that tribal art comes from that mentality where, okay, the tribes who were just surviving, Mm They didn't have art. Right. But <clears throat> once they had a little bit of time, they developed religion. They developed all these, uh, you know, this, these beliefs and, uh, you know, were able to think about things and they were able to create art. Right. And, uh, and in some cases, very profound art. Oh, yeah. 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 So. Yeah, I mean, and that's really true. So uh, that's one of the reasons people get back to prison is that it's a comfort zone for them because they don't have those needs met on the outside and they may not, for whatever reason, have the social, economic, uh, you know, interpersonal skills to be able to do what they what they want to do. Uh, and so they get back because that's a safe place for them. And, uh, you know, and, and how to address that is a challenge unless you talk about it inside and say, hey, here's what's going to happen. Let's talk about creating a strategy for all of this stuff to go on. On. A person who doesn't have a place to stay is going to have a hell of a time yeah. doing something positive. Absolutely. Yeah, and I've been there. I've, yeah. been, I've totally been there. Um, cool. I've been, I've been to the bottom. Yeah. And that's where you know and you have a perspective about that whole thing. Yeah. And you know it's possible to move out of that, but it takes yeah. a unique skill set to be able to do it. Well, that's what gets me excited about things that I'm doing now, which are, um, you know, for instance, in my case, it was computer-aided drafting. That mm-hmm. was my opportunity that began to you know, make me realize that I was capable of doing anything, anything pretty much, yeah. within reason. And um, so now when I see that sort of thing going on in the street or I can be part of that, I get excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when I see transformational opportunities that I can relate to. And meaningful, meaningful employment or uh, entrepreneur entrepreneurism or uh, you know some some people some people are totally not meant to be entrepreneurs mm-hmm. 
uh, some people, the vast majority of people, are better off uh, learning mm-hmm. a skill. Yeah. I, I don't consider myself an entrepreneur. I, I don't have – my gift is having somebody say, hey, I need to have these classes done. Go present it. I thrive on an audience. I, I live for having 500 people that I can play with in some sort of speaker situation. You, that was your gig at Darcell's. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And I look really great in feathers. Um, I mean, so that was the other thing that just let's be let's be you know upfront about it. But um, no, uh, so I mean, I just love that. And other people couldn't do it if their life depended on it, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's uh, you know that's just one of those things that I have a good time with people, and yeah. I can entertain them, and I'm funny, and I'm kind of goofy looking. I have a face for radio. I'm kind of goofy looking. Um, uh, you're a cute little thing. I, well, you know, after I gave up my career as a swimsuit model, um, the. Uh, um, no. Scott in a, in a Let's not. <laughs> let's not. Yeah, maybe someone hasn't had breakfast. Um, so, I, but I can go in front of a group, and I have such a unique energy. I'm modestly speaking that I just love it, and they love it, and so that's uh, you know that's what kind of made it uh, makes it a positive experience for me, and I'm passionate about it. So, what do you? How do you think you're going to move forward with with these? plans and dreams that you have to make a difference? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and, and again, I'm, I'm just doing it. Uh, you know, you show up at meetings and, and you uh, do presentations or workshops or, you know, whatever somebody needs. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of times I'm involved with the lifers and with um, the seven-step program. Tell us about how, how uh, what is your involvement? How, how often do you go in? And, you know, what's, what's that all, what's that like? Yeah, sure. So, um, I, I, you know, lifers is, uh, is once a month. Seven-step is once a month. There's a couple of other smaller programs that I'm involved with at at OSB, um, and then we've had some special programs, uh, some some workshops that I've done. So a few times a month, mm-hmm. and uh, you know my goal would be to to do a regular class series there. So we're kind of looking at how to make that a possibility. Um, so that's uh, you know that's basically it. Uh, in, in have you ever talked to Dan Billionberg? I, I have. In fact, uh, we're in regular correspondence. Um, he has he's at uh, Sandy Am. Mm-hmm. Um, he has uh, a guy there whose name is Cameron, who's a be-all, end-all, fabulous artist. Mm. And Cameron has written a series of books that are uh, just perfect for children. And uh, so right now I'm trying to figure out how to drum up $800 to buy a set of books for each of the visiting rooms in uh, the Oregon Department of Corrections so that people can read them to their kids because they're brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So that's how I met Dan, and, uh, and I've gotten to know him a little bit. So... I'll do that for you. Oh, that here's a. Here's yeah, a he was a good dude when he was on. I remember. Oh, Dan Billenberg, yeah, yeah. And, and if you're going to do that, let's talk about my Mercedes payment. Yeah. That would be. Ah 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 You're fucked. <laughs> so no, I, I love I the reality perspective from Dave Dahl. <laughs> I'm a tough lover. Yeah, yeah. These books are great, though. They're, they're about, um, so you want to be a marine scientist, or they have a, just a, a bunch of different topics for kids. Beautifully illustrated, and I just was literally flabbergasted when I saw these. So I've been working with Kelly Rass of the Department of Corrections to figure yeah. out how are we going to do this. And uh, we want to get a set for each of the, uh, 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 you know, the institutions. And, and uh, again, it's a, yeah. Fantastic. All right. Well, we like to make a difference. That's for sure. So... What are your, what kind of resources 
do you have to work with at this point? Ha, 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 ha. Well, I'm not talking about financial. Oh, I was going to say my credit cards? <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, well, you, because you, you're not really working with money, you're working yeah. with resources. Right, it, yeah. Your brain I, is I, your best I, one. I have got a ton, I've got a ton of resources. I've yeah. got just all kinds of research, uh, you know, a bunch of programs that I've already created. So mm. I'm now I'm in the marketing program stage. Um, I met with uh, Rex Newton, who you might know who he is. He's heard a of him. psychologist at OSP for 30 years. I've known him since the 90s, and uh, he is an amazing fellow, and so we've talked about some things, and so there's lots of things in the works, and the difference is that I've already got these package programs that are ready to go, but they're still trying to sell it to the Department of Corrections and, you know, see what that, uh, you know, what that entails. So, so uh, you know, t- tons and tons and tons of stuff um, that's super helpful, and uh, I can, uh, I, I, I did something at OSP with the lifers where I said, okay, here's 14 things that I can do for you as a class. Mm-hmm. So 14 different, uh, uh, you know, segments. And, uh, you know, then they voted on which one they wanted. I gave them a little, you know, presentation on what each one would look like. And, and they said, okay, this is the one that we want. And so literally, you know, years worth of stuff yeah. that I've accumulated uh, that I can, you know, facilitate or teach or, you know, whatever model. Once you get a foot in the door. Exactly. That, yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, not to, I don't want to change the subject if you have more to say on that, but I do want to ask you a question. Sure. Um, you know, I knew about you before I met you, but uh, I met you because of Doyle mm-hmm. yes. Smith. Now, tell me about your friendship with Doyle. I've known Doyle about and 20... Let's, tell, let's first say who Doyle is. Yeah, Doyle Smith is the head of DDA of Oregon. Absolutely one of my dearest favorite people. Dual Diagnosis Anonymous. Yep, Dual Diagnosis Anonymous. Nothing anonymous about it, baby, because yeah. we we don't yeah. mind letting people know who yeah. we are. The guy who founded it um, was a, 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 a clinical director at DePaul. I, I think I mentioned I worked at DePaul for a, a while. And Doyle okay. was the person that got me in there. Um, and I did classes every Saturday morning or just, you know, different times, mostly Saturday mornings for for eight years and uh, worked with Doyle and then Corbett came and he became Corbett Monica Corbett Monica he became the clinical director and I was so proud that I was the first person that he kind of met as a friend Mm -hmm. here in Oregon before his wife moved up from California and we'd go out to breakfast after so your your friend it was more with Corbett at first well it was a parallel because I knew Doyle before I knew Corbett but I bonded with Corbett really well and uh, then as things progressed I got to know Doyle better and better and and so now I'm kind of one of their, you know, I, I love that he calls me for volunteer stuff and says, hey, would you organize our, our, the Christmas thing we did? Uh, you were there and, and uh, at the church where they wanted to have a Christmas for people that never had Christmas. And you very graciously brought your band. Um, so those kinds of things. And, and uh, Doyle is the bomb. He's, uh, you know, he's just an amazing fellow. Yeah, so. I like Doyle a lot. Um, and that's, that's how I learned about you, by the way, was kind of through Doyle. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And your cute pictures on the internet. <laughs> I only post cute ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just that website is a little fishy, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. All right. So, so, I mean, because when you, a guy like you dealing with working with a program like that or with those that people who are in that industry, if you will... Um, you know, you don't really belong in, you're not one of them. Right. Uh, so you're doing it because you love people. Right. Essentially. 
and yeah, you like to make a difference. Right, and you see Tell people... Tell us about making a difference. How do you feel about making a difference? Yeah, I mean, it's the only reason to be alive. I yeah. mean, it's literally the, uh, you know, service is the rent we pay for life. And, yeah. and, uh, and you made a bad difference before a lot of times. I did, I did, and I hurt a lot of people. I lied to a lot of people. I did things that were, you know, just, you know, un- unconsciousable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all around money, but nonetheless, I think it really traumatized a, a lot of people who thought I was a super good guy. And, yeah, and, uh, you let them down. And I let them down, mm-hmm. exactly right. And so, in a weird way, this is a way of making up for for that. Uh, you can't really make up for it, but uh, you know, it's my attempt at saying, "Hey, I'm going to reverse that course and change the karma flow." Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's that's uh, that's exactly true. Yep. Yeah, and you know, doing good like that is its own reward. Right. Right. And I don't think it's doing good. I mean, I think that's a funny model. I think well, it's just doing what you're supposed to do. Wrong, you're, yeah. you're, you're back in the flow of things again. Sounds kind of phony, yeah. yeah. You're, doing, you're doing things that it, it actually is a flow. Right, when yeah. You, when you feel that way. And, and you're not going against the flow. your heart. And, yeah, your heart becomes generous. You're... you're you're open right. and right. and kind. Right. And that's what that's what we're all supposed to be. And so the yeah. the, the less you, you resist think, that But wait a minute, you're you're a deep guy. Do you think that we are born that way? I do. Oh. I do. And I think that we we develop um, filters that keep us from doing that because it's a lot about vulnerability. If I'm nice to this person, there's this, this weird idea in prison that if you're if you show kindness it's a weakness. Mm-hmm. And that's nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Yeah, but it's true if you live in, in, in that in that if you're living in that that world, you know. Um, I'm they not take sure. it well, but it's not that you, it's, if you okay if you're kind and you're generous and stuff, people will take advantage of you, or they'll try. Yeah, I you mean, know. There's, there's, but but th- then you have to look at you know where am I being kind and where am I being codependent? Mm-hmm. You know, and so if I'm meeting my needs uh, to be liked. Versus meeting their needs to have somebody give them a hug, um, that that's on. But that's a level of awareness that I think a lot of people don't have. And one of my goals is to create some consciousness that people can say, "Wait a minute, let me evaluate the difference between this." Well, I remember the great time in my life was when I realized that I didn't care what anybody thought. But see, I wasn't weak, and I right. and uh, I was reasonably kind. Um, uh-huh. But I was just mainly getting my needs met. You in, know? in the fifteen years in the joint, I've never. And I mean, obviously, let's let's go out and we'll 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 wrestle, which I personally like. But the <laughs> um, um, I've never been you in a fight. You can do it with all on. I've never been in a fight. I've never been beat up or any of that sort of stuff. And I my biggest problem was hugging my way through the halls. And so, because, yeah, but that's not even legal. Yeah, and again, <laughs> ask me if I care. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, it was a, a part of that is a mindset that you go, wait a minute. So, anyway. No, no, uh, that, that's great. I mean, I, so if we were going to wrap up, um, we are very close to wrapping up. What, what, what kind of words would you say just to wrap today up for us? I'd say just remember that there's no throwaway humans, that everybody has value. And it takes some people longer than others to recognize their value. But you can help them along that process by just giving them the benefit of the doubt and being responsibly helpful. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't mean giving them everything they want. It just means being aware that there might be things you can do, and even I think, if it's a kind word. Uh, and I think in that regard, I think my version of that would be the old word, old praise, tough love. Right. Uh, you, you, lo- you want people to succeed. You don't want to enable them to fail. Right. So um, that's, that's a big deal. And 
Man, you're a good dude. You know, I, I've told you that once or twice. I was lying before. Now I really but, think But so. you've forgotten modest and humble. I think, and that's, <laughs> that's the other thing about you. You're very <laughs> modest. Whatever, very, dude. Whatever. Extremely <laughs> humble. Yeah, that's it. That's the ticket. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, hey, we got to wrap this one up. And, uh, you know, I'm doing without a script today. It's, it's pretty cool. No uh, problems. It's fun. And... Uh, you know, we don't have Lad with us today. I'm not sure when he'll be back, but uh, it is happy birthday. Give wish Lad a happy birthday. Should we sing to him? He's 61 today. Uh, he doesn't look a day over 65. <laughs> and uh, great guy. So, Alan, um, to finish this up, we do you know who our guest is next week? You don't, do you? I do not. It's probably some ex-felon, though. I'm getting that. I kind of see a pattern happening. <laughs> yeah. And we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. And you know you can you can catch old episodes of this show on any podcast app. And I I totally recommend that you do that. And give it a four star five star rating. Yeah, thank you. Four or five, anywhere in there. Yeah. Okay. No. How about forty five? It, it better be five. Better or, be five. Or we will. Look or we you know up. people in low places. <laughs> yes, we do. And uh, and if you don't listen, we may show up at your place late late at night and make you listen. So, <laughs> yeah. it, so that's all we got. And next, right after this, is the Latino Latino Founder Hour with Edgar Navas. And guess who's on that show today? Who could it be? It's, it's El, Di, El Davido. Oh, David. El, El Nice. <laughs> yeah, so hey, everybody, thanks a lot for listening. Yeah, thanks, Spencer. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.